But after studying the important Das Kapital, he became dedicated to the Marxist plan for the overthrow of law and order, which his profession was expected to uphold. Marx had died in 1883, but Engels still campaigned vigorously, and Lenin wrote a much-applauded pamphlet in support of his views, favouring the growing power of the industrial workers and undervaluing the peasants as a source of revolution. This basic conviction ignored the fact that the peasant community constituted by far the greatest part of the population and was to affect his entire future outlook. His attack on the Narodniks, the terrorist group with non-Marxist views, brought the 24-year-old Lenin into prominence in the eyes of the Revolutionary Brotherhood, and his name doubtless appeared on the lists of suspect persons to be watched by the secret police. When Friedrich Engels died in London in 1895, Lenin wrote, Only a free Russia that is under no necessity to oppress the Poles, Finns, Germans, Armenians and other small nationalities, or constantly to incite France against Germany, will relieve contemporary Europe of its military burdens, weaken the reactionary elements in Europe, and increase the strength of the European working class. This is why Engels, for the success of the workers' movement in the West, warmly desired the establishment of political freedom in Russia. In 1893, Lenin moved to St. Petersburg and joined a group of Marxists who had gathered around Georgi V. Plekhanov, an outstanding figure of socialist thought. Plekhanov nursed his young hotheads into a calculated line of subversive thought. As may well be imagined in such a gathering, no single theory prevailed, and Lenin, who at the time held pro-terrorist views, clashed violently with those more liberal ideas. Lenin's uncompromising manner antagonised his opponents, yet he won admiration for his practical approach on matters of detail. Believing that the end justified the means, he refused to permit principles to interfere with day-to-day -day tactics. His perspicacity and determination revealed him as a potential leader. Now that both Marx and Engels were dead, it is possible that he already felt the mantle of the new socialism falling on his shoulders. What became known as Leninism was born of Marx, Engels and Hegel, with opportunism and practical organisation added. Lenin was eventually to replace Plekhanov in his role of socialist theorist. On that visit to St. Petersburg, my brother experienced the natural desires of a young man and fell in love. His first affair was with Apollinaria, a schoolteacher and a member of the Marxist group. He proposed, but she rejected him. Lenin was hard hit by this reverse, and on the rebound, he began to pay court to Nadezhda Krupskaya, another schoolteacher and a friend of Apollinaria's. They met at a Shrovetide party. Krupskaya, tall, pale and grave, was already a dedicated Marxist and it was not unnatural that her first exchanges with Lenin were on political matters. Someone in the party made a point about creating literacy committees to educate the masses. Between the pancakes, Vladimir Ilyich laughed, and his laugh sounded so wicked and dry, I wanted to know him more closely. She was destined to know him both as a man and a leader. When asked about him, her comments were shrewd and penetrating, yet one thought seemed always to have remained uppermost in her mind. Oh, how he could laugh! Having adopted the name of Lenin, possibly from the river Lena in Siberia, he travelled abroad, meeting exiled Marxists, 
and studying conditions in various countries. But he felt his role was inside Russia. He returned to foment trouble for the establishment by means of leaflets, strikes and teaching Marxism to the workers. I was now working as a railway clerk and I helped Vladimir Ilyich. For several weeks we eluded the police, but in December they caught him and he spent a year in jail, after which he was banished to Siberia. Then I was also arrested in exile to Siberia, and as Lenin's fiance asked to be transferred to Shushenskoye. We married on July the 10th, 1898. Life in exile had its compensations. Lenin thought it not a bad place. He went hunting, read a great deal, made translations of German pamphlets into Russian with Krupskaya's help, studied farming conditions and even practised a little law. When his exile ended, he was not allowed to return to St. Petersburg, so he went to live in Pskov, leaving behind Krupskaya in Siberia because her term of exile had not yet expired. She was ill, and Lenin's petition for her to join him in Pskov was refused. They were finally reunited in Munich, where he was living with his sister Anna and Julius Martov, one of the Iskra editors. Julius came nearest to being called Lenin's friend. The year was 1903. The place, London. A conference was being held to discuss policy and principles. The faction led by Lenin and Petyanov won more votes, Bolshe, than the faction led by Julius Martov, who had less votes, Mienshe. Thus came into being the parties of the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks. Lenin sought Plyhanov's help to purge the editorial board of Iskra of the Mensheviks, but a newcomer called Trotsky sided with Martov, and Plyhanov backpedalled, bringing back some Mensheviks. Lenin resigned, and with financial help from the writer Maxim Gorky, edited the Perihot forward in Geneva. In 1904, Japan demanded that Russia should evacuate Manchuria and Korea, and backed up her demands with war. Russia suffered naval reverses and a military defeat in Nanshan. Finally, Port Arthur fell in January 1905. Lenin was delighted. The capitulation of Port Arthur is the prologue to the capitulation of Tsardom. From the defeat of the Russian armed forces sprang the 1905 revolution. The crew of the cruiser Potemkin mutinied and sailed for Romania. Lenin saluted their defiance. Long live the revolutionary army! Long live the revolutionary government! Though the mutineers were later overcome by Tsarist forces, the Potemkin epic was made memorable by the filmmaker Eisenstein. In the cities, the workers fought at the barricades and short-lived Soviets appeared. In St. Petersburg, drastic action was taken when the military, together with the Cossacks, fired on an unarmed crowd in the square in front of the Winter Palace. The heavy casualties of Bloody Sunday whipped up the fury of the masses, and fiery orator Trotsky, aged 26, emerged as the revolutionary leader. The Bolsheviks were not involved, and Lenin waited in Geneva for the outcome. In August, Theodore Roosevelt mediated in the Far East War, and at Portsmouth, New Hampshire, the Japanese and Russian negotiators signed a peace treaty. Yet the revolt, led by the determined Trotsky, continued, and Lenin hazarded a return to St. Petersburg after a five years' absence. He remained in the background, however, 
and when artillery finally crushed resistance, he went into hiding with Krupskaya. For two years they lived a life of undercover activity, shuttling between Finland, Stockholm, London, Berlin, and very furtively St. Petersburg. He expressed his dreams. War! Either the bourgeoisie overthrows the revolutionary dictatorship of the proletariat and peasantry, or this dictatorship ignites Europe. When the Tsar promised elections for the Duma, or Parliament, Lenin called on the Bolshevik party to boycott them. In 1907, he left Russia, not to return for ten years. But he was not silent. His voice was raised in prophecy. In 1908, he wrote, The socialist revolution is looming in Great Britain. This only blind people could fail to see. Again, overestimating signs of world revolution, One million copies of a socialist journal, which is shamelessly baited and persecuted by the American courts, shows what kind of revolt is approaching in America. Lenin devoted every waking hour to the cause of this anticipated revolution, in which national frontiers would be erased by class war. The London Conference of 1907 achieved a party unity which lasted just 20 days. The threatened split arose because the materialist philosophy of the Bolsheviks who followed Lenin was opposed by the philosophy of the adherents of the Austrian physicist Ernest Mach, who believed that the physical depended upon our sensual experiences. To reconcile these differing viewpoints, Maxim Gorky invited Lenin to Capri to meet those taking the non-Marxist line. There was a big crowd at Gorky's place, much noise and bustle. Many played chess, others went voting. Ilyich said little about the discussions of the big questions and no conciliation of views.